Hey there, everybody. You are listening to This Show is So Gay. I'm your host, Ken Schneck. This is episode number 405. As always, you can get in touch with us by dropping us a line. Send an email on over to ken at thisshowissogay.com. Every single email gets answered. Just send it to ken at thisshowissogay.com. Stroll on over to thisshowissogay.com to learn all about the fun things happening with our little gay radio show that could. You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is thisshowissogay. And of course, go on over to that Facebook. Type in This Show Is So Gay, like us, because we sure as heck like you. We have the most incredible episode for you this week with just a true icon in this world. Let me introduce our guest to you. Kate Bornstein is an author, a playwright, a performance artist, a trailblazer, a role model, a mentor, a hero of mine, and so much more. Kate's ridiculously celebrated books include Hello, Cruel World, 101 Alternatives to Suicide for Teens, Freaks, and Other Outlaws, My Gender Workbook, A Queer and Pleasant Danger, and the seminal classic Gender Outlaw on Men, Women, and the Rest of Us. Kate's plays and performance pieces include Strangers in Paradox, Hidden Agenda, The Opposite Sex is Neither, Virtually Yours, and Y2Kate, Gender Virus 2000. Kate's words are taught in countless languages in countless high schools, colleges, and universities around the world, and Kate's work on suicide prevention and advocacy for marginalized and at-risk youth has earned two citations of outstanding citizenship from the New York City Council. This is one of those bios I could do for hours, but then we wouldn't actually get the chance to speak, so let me just say, Kate, welcome to This Show is So Gay. And thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. You left out the most important part of my bio. Tell me. I'm so gay. You are so gay and thus uniquely qualified to be with us here this week. Love you, baby. I was going to say it's important to all hi- to also highlight we have two New Jersey gay Jews on this week's show. Yeah, where from? What exit? <laughs> That's what we do, right? Uh, ex- the last exit on the parkway, Montvale, New Jersey, the last one before you get to New York. Oh, golly, I'm from Asbury Park. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, I, I have to tell you, Kate, one of the things that in doing eight, nine years of this show and having all these hundreds of guests on, I usually start out by asking, well, which label do you gravitate towards? All those labels I gave you at the start. But there's something uniquely wrong in asking Kate Bornstein, which label do you prefer? <laughs> uh, well, I've got a brand new gender identity that I've been playing with for the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm really delighted with it. It turns out that you know, when you're old, I'll be 70 in another six months or so. And when you're old, you start shrinking. And sure enough, I've, I've gone from six feet tall to around 5'8". This is what happens to old folks. And so I'm little. Uh, I'm old. And my mother taught me one thing. Uh, well, she taught me a lot, but the most important thing she taught me was always be a lady. So my new identity is little old lady. Look at that. that, That's my gender. (laughs) I don't think there's anyone out there thinking Kate Bornstein, little old lady. (laughs) You know, I've actually, I'm circling back to what I first discovered myself to be before I started writing Gender Outlaw. And the easiest way to express who I am is not a man, not a woman. I, I find it easier to express myself in negatives 
than it is to express myself in a positive. Because as soon as I say, this is what I am, well, then that word gets misappropriated or appropriated or changes. But not man, not woman still works for me. Gender outlaw still works for me. And if it's okay with you, we're going to spend the bulk of our time focusing on Gender Outlaw. I, I reread it this weekend <laughs> since I first read it in college. And to read it again years later, you would expect, and, and, and I know there's there's a new edition out and, and you've updated pieces of this, but to have a work hold up over time, that's an incredible thing, Kate. It's crazy, right? It's been out there now for damn near 25 years. The, the update was important. I'm really glad they let me update and revise it because in the first edition, I made the point that, okay, we've got a gender binary. Of course, we can use the word binary back then. I think I called it a bipolar gender system. But now, now we call it a binary. And what I said then, because I was so excited at finding out I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, that I poo-pooed anybody who called themselves a man or a woman. And I was, I was snide. I, I was dismissive. And this was not a good thing to do. You, you don't be dismissive of anybody. Right. And now I'm saying, you know, any way, whatever your truth of gender is, enjoy it. As long as it relieves some of your suffering, it brings you some happiness, and it's not mean to anybody else, whatever you call yourself is fine. I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. That's my truth of gender. Whatever. And that's the big change in gender outlaw. But pretty much everything else is staying the same. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, I have a huge list of questions for you, and we'll see where we get. But I, but I have to ask you, are there questions at this point? You've done so many speaking engagements and so many interviews and have been talking about issues of gender for so many years. Are there any questions that you would like to retire, that you expect at this point, you know what, I, I need everyone to just have the answer to this one? No. Yeah. No, I, I no. I think gender is an ongoing process of discovery. Yeah, in quantum mechanics, a photon is a subatomic particle. Right. It's a particle. But if you look at it another way, it's also a wave, a wave and a particle. It only becomes a particle when you look at it closely. Gender's the same damn thing. Gender, your gender identity is a continuum. When you look at it and measure it at a certain place in time, yes, it becomes a solid thing that we can point to. This is my gender identity. Ten minutes later, it's changed. So the exploration of gender is ongoing. It's a continuum. Uh, so who knows what gender, what I'm going to think gender is you know, a week from now or even tomorrow. Right. So no, no, no question is, is worth retiring. Okay. Okay, I just want to make sure before we start in on this. I love the phrase deliciously problematic, and it strikes me that that is a phrase that Kate Bornstein particularly enjoys as well. <laughs> I do too. What what was that said in reference to you? Do you recall? It was right at the beginning of the new introduction to the book and just reveling in the idea that, my gosh, there is a fun aspect to talking about gender. Yeah. Yeah. I, may I just go off the garden path here and talk about the new book I'm working on? Because it's my very favorite title so far. It's called Trans, Just for the Fun of It. Yes. 
And I'm still trying to get people to see that it's fun. Now, yes, of course, there's a serious side to yes. trans. And, and the, the subtitle of the new book is Compassionate Gender Strategies for Divisive Times. But the focus has got to be on fun. It, gender is so gay. It is. That's why we talk about it. That's why we talk about it. <laughs> I loved just reading about your path. I mean, certainly about your journey, but in particular about you devouring everything that you could find about gender growing up and, and this idea of, of culture creating gender and that for so many of our colleagues out there, for so many of our brothers and sisters out there, there just wasn't a ton in culture representing gender in any, you know, not, uh, as, as you said earlier, bipolar way. And so I, I could see you just, oh, I need to find everything I could I can devour about gender growing up. Talk to our listeners about this idea of, of culture creating gender. The thing about gender that uh, I ran into while I was writing Gender Outlaw, and this would have been, I started writing it in 1989, was no one was questioning gender. Right. There were just no questions. There was a question like, what's the difference between a man and a woman? Uh, there was a lot of questions about that. Uh, who's got more power, a man or a woman? But everything devolved across uh, on the assumption that you had to be one or the other, and no one was questioning the assumption. Uh, and that's why, because I never felt like I was a man. Right. I, I was one, of course I was. I operated like one, I, I lived like one, I, I did a damn good job of being one. But it didn't feel right, and about six months into my transition, it, it didn't feel right to be a woman. And I went, oh, <laughs> there goes the ball game. I'm just not a human being. Uh, and, and true to form, if humanity is defined as you got to be a man or a woman, I, I wasn't a human. And it was, it was a dark night for me. And I kept looking for someone who was questioning it. And where I found it was in a sociology text uh, by two authors, Kessler and McKenna. They, they wrote a book called Gender and Ethnomethodological Approach. Ethnomethodology is a school of sociology that specializes in questioning whatever it is a culture takes for granted and never questions. This opened all the doors for me. I was allowed to question things. And uh, that was the great big deal. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. And now, now there's, there's lovely tons of texts. It's just wonderful. I have to ask you, with this idea of culture creating gender, and, and you do a brief shout out to to reality TV, even even before it becomes you know as big as it is now. How does Kate feel about being a part of reality TV? Because you certainly played a part in the past couple of years. <laughs> it's my genre, darling. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's neither reality nor is it performance. It's a lovely. Deliciously problematic mix of the two, because you're always conscious that you're on camera, right. always. And this is like being on stage. You're always conscious that you're playing a role. You've got lines. You're listening to see that no one coughs on an important line, and if they do, you repeat it. At the same time, in the way that you and I are having this conversation now, we're being completely natural with each other, but we're both aware this is going out on the radio on right. the fucking internet 
and uh, listen to me, radio, I'm so old. <laughs> no, we actually are on radio station, so it's real. You're, you're totally on point. Oh, and it's okay that I say f- a lot? Um, we'll probably bleep that out, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry I didn't ask ahead of time. It's okay. That's just how I talk. I should say, for our listeners who, who don't know, you, you have appeared, in addition to the many talk shows, which I love that you have an appreciation for that and, and your role in presenting identity and gender on talk shows, but also your experience of, of appearing on I Am Kate. That was some riveting stuff there. I agree. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. The producer, director, Andrea Metz, told us at the very outset that our job as travel companions to Caitlyn Jenner was to be to make sure she stepped out of the comfort zone as frequently as possible. And so that was our mission. For me, I was out of my comfort zone. I was the one person on the bus that was non-binary identified, not man, not woman. And this is where I realized that I had been dismissive of people who were trans and calling themselves women, people who were trans and understanding themselves to be men. And I was immersed for six weeks in their company and came to understand, well, duh, they are men. They are women. This is how they live their lives. This is how they understand themselves to be. That was a big breakthrough for me. I think we all learned a lot on that that show. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. You you write in the book, the first question we usually ask new parents is, is it a boy or is it a girl? How do we feel? I mean, now, I, in, in all the education that I've been doing over the years, I, I've echoed that statement and, and certainly have cribbed it from you and from others. And now, even earlier, Kate, we have these gender reveal parties where even before we have the child, before we have the baby, we are assigning gender. That's a whole new development. You know, my screensaver is a montage of gender reveal cakes. I just think they're as funny as they can be, and at the same time, as sad as they can be. Yeah. We can say, is is the child male or female? And, and at best, that's an approximation, because what are we basing that on? Innies and outies? Right. Come on, that's what, that's what, when we were cave dwellers. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember those days. I, I remember the day gender was invented, Ken. I, uh, we, were, we were sitting around, and a guy named Fred, 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 Fred said, Hey, hey, Emma has an innie, and I've got an Audi. And, and that was gender. And that was gender. That was gender right there. And it still is to this day. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's gender reveal. <sighs> On the other side of that, let, let, let's get into something that's, that's happening today, a phenomenon today that never would have expected. And that's four- and five-year-old children expressing themselves as trans and their parents going, right, you are. That's good and that's not so good. When a four- or five-year-old says, I'm a boy, you go, yes, you are. Period. Done. You are. But a four or five year old has no idea of the nuances that go into being that what a boy is. And so you say, so, okay, so what does boy mean to you? You are one. What does that mean? 
Well, it means I'm not a girl. Okay, fair enough. So, okay, let's. You're 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 a boy because you're not a girl. What is what does girl mean to you? Well, girl is this 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 and that. And you make it clear to the kid that the choice is always open. You can be boy. You could be girl tomorrow and boy the day after that. You could be boy for the next 12 years of your life or the next until the day you die. No problem. But you always have options. And if we let kids know that rather than go, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, sir, to a four-year-old, then I think we're on a, a correct track. Transgender has, in fact, reached a tipping point. When that issue of Time magazine came out in May of 2014, Laverne Cox on the cover, transgender has reached a tipping point. Transgender has. Trans has not. Transgender today is understood to be a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who's transitioned out of another gender. It's a binary identified gender identity, and that's fine. But all the rest of non-binary, genderqueer, gender non-conforming, agender, no gender, are still left out in the cold. They still can't get jobs. Drag queens, drag kings, sissies, butch women. No, no, nobody, none of us can get jobs unless we pass as men, women, boys, girls. And so when we have a gender reveal party, we're laying that in at the very beginning, even before the child is born. I'm so sad about that. Yeah. You know, I have to give you a random piece of praise. I was speaking to Kathy Renna, our great friend of the show this morning, and she said, oh, you have to tell Kate Bornstein she was amazing at Gender Odyssey. Yeah. Gender Gender Odyssey, if you don't know about it, please Google it. Yeah. It's uh, thousands of people come together every year. Thousands come together every year and celebrate children, celebrate family, uh, and the notion of trans. And I remember, bless Kathy, you know, she was, I think, one of the first people who got me involved in that, yeah. um, along with Aiden Key. Looking out, I was giving, I've, I've given two keynotes there over the years, and this most recent one, I was looking out, and it was Ken and Barbie meets the Adams family. There was every gender you could imagine, and we were all getting along on the notion that we've got to help the kids. Yeah. It was terrific. Just terrific. Amazing stuff. Again, listeners, we are here with Kate Bornstein, author, playwright, performance artist, so much more. You know, one of the issues that I, I didn't really think about, there's so much that, that I don't think about, which is part of my own male privilege, and we'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> but this idea of making up a past... And, and you write about so many of our trans brothers and sisters being asked to, to make up a past that matches with their perceived gender and, and tying in these ideas of integrity. That's not something that I really was thinking about before I read Gender Outlaw. Yeah, I, I think fortunately the tide is turning on that. Sure, I'm sure there are still therapists, old school therapists, who say, well, you can't tell anybody. We're going to, yes, you can, you can transition, but you can't tell anybody. And in my day, that's all there was. Right. Don't say it. You, do, you say things like, when I was a little girl, I remember, and I was never a little girl. Right. Well, I am when it comes to, you know, play. Uh, I can be a little girl. I can be a little boy, too. Um, but 
that has not my history. My history was I was a boy. And being told I could not talk about that made me a big liar. Yeah. That's no fun. No. Oh, it was incredible stuff. The the sentence I think that really popped out at me almost more than any other, and, and the one that I wrote down immediately, you wrote this, in too many cultures and subcultures, we trans people still quake in solitude at the prospect of recognition, even if that solitude is in the company of our own kind. It brings up how we interact with each other. It brings up these ideas of community, but even looking within the company of our own kind, that there is this solitude, that there is this silence, is so striking, Kate. Yeah. Yeah, there's still large parts of the world where that's the case. Yes, you can transition, but don't tell anyone. Right. Fortunately, there's a nice foothold that says, sure, you can tell someone. Go ahead. But it's nowhere near universal, nowhere near in the majority of cases. Incredible. You know, by the way, can we just talk on a typesetting moment, which I don't think I've ever talked about that. I love that the, I love that gender outlaw plays with margins, you know, plays with the idea of margins and, and what's centered and what's justified on the right side or on the left side. It strikes me that Kate Bornstein likes to play with margins. So it works on a literal level. (laughs) Thank you. I'm pleased with that, that formatting. It looks like a regular book. There's typeset in the regular book. But then eh, there are places I disagree with myself or places I want to clarify something. And I, I, When I was writing that on Word 4, Word 4.0, and my, my, uh, my Mac Classic with, a, with an 8-inch screen, and um, so I, I was able to format that over on the right. I was going to send this over to my, my editor as... Uh, look, what do I do with this? I just, I just want it over here. I, I not want it over here. I, I'm not so sure. And then I wanted to quote people, but I hate footnotes. I hate having to look all the way down. So I put them over on the left, and I said, "How can we do this?" He says, "This is great. This is postmodern. This is performance. Oh no, we're keeping it just the way it is." Okay. It's great. It's great. It so strikes me. Oh yeah, this is totally Kate talking right here. It's great. Now. I would imagine one of the updates that you had to do for the book, and indeed it it is in there, was to give nod to, and I almost cringe because it's like, can I have you on the show and not talk about bathrooms? And there's a degree to which, no, I, I can't have you on the show right now, and we can't talk about gender right now without talking about bathrooms. And before we get into that, can I just admit, it just makes me cringe that that's a part of the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's, let me say ahead of this, It's a political issue, and I'm terrible at politics. So I'm not going to be able to speak very well to it, except to acknowledge that it's hard for a lot of people. Well, one of the things that you do in the book, though, is write about your own history with bathrooms and and about how I can do do that for our listeners, because that's an incredible story. It's something that could happen right now. And indeed, you know, it happened years ago. Yeah, it was 1988. And I was still, no, 86. Holy Wow. <laughs> it was 1986. I was working at an IBM subsidiary in downtown Philadelphia in a, a tall, tall, tall office building that was under construction still in many of the floors. And there I was. All of a sudden, I went through a transition. And 
where is it going to go to the bathroom? And, oh, we can't have it in the ladies' room. Oh, no, no, no. And then we can't have it in the men's room. No, no, no. They found a bathroom for me, like, eight floors up that was still under construction. Uh, way in the back, you had to walk over all kinds of construction equipment, wires, exposed wires. And there was a bathroom that didn't have a door. I had to bring my own toilet paper. Oh I was the one who cleaned it. And that's where they let me go to the bathroom. And that was pretty advanced for that day. The fact is that I would have been fired from most any other job. My, my boss, Robert Dundon, was just a gentleman. Wow. I don't usually find myself disagreeing with one of my own guests, you know, not really in eight years, but I'm, I'm struck that you would say that, that you're not very good at politics or being political because I think that so much of what you do is to move the needle along in how, how we have this conversation. Well, then let me clarify. Okay. I'm not good at strategy. I'm not good at uh, tactics. Um, I am good at, at ex- you know, I told this to Caitlin on the bus. Caitlin was at the time all, all about Ted Cruz. And she said, well, I, I want to be his ambassador to, um, for, for trans people all over the world. I said, Caitlin, I'm right there with you. And if, and if Ted Cruz gets elected, I want to be his court jester. That's the kind of politic, political yippee that I can do. I can question things. People call me an activist. I don't call myself an activist. I cringe when it comes to doing things activist I'm an artist. I'm a theorist. And I work all my service is in service to activism. I, I, I do help move the needle along, but I'm not the one moving the needle. I'm the one questioning the people who are. Yeah. You you mention in the book a moment of rebellion, and, and I have to ask you, especially in this vein of, of talking about your role in activism or, or supporting art that supports activism and creating art that, that supports activism, you write that we haven't yet experienced this this coalescing moment of rebellion with the trans community, where the trans community really comes together and rebels in, in a way you know, that women have done in a way that was done in Stonewall, although as you write appropriately so, certainly trans people were part of that rebellion as well. Talk to me about what a moment of rebellion for the trans community looks like. Trans, as well as LGBTQ, is divided along the lines of conservative and radical sexuality and gender. And the words straight and queer are redefining these days. All words are redefining. But straight is more and more being used to express conservative views of sexuality and gender. The more mainstream. It's not bad. It just is more mainstream. And queer is more radical. Yeah. Uh, for example, straight says, hey, hey, hey. Don't ask me about my genitals. That's none of your business. And do not ask me what's going on in the bedroom with my lover or lovers. That's none of your business, too. I am, I am entitled to some privacy. All of us have that some degree of straight thinking in that manner. Queer, on the other hand, is, hey, hey, I just had my surgery. You want to look? 
or, you know, oh, my God, there's a fabulous alley over there. Let's do it in there. All of us have a little bit degree of adventure that way. But trans is divided terribly, as is LGBTQ, between conservative and radical views of sexuality and gender. The politics of LGBTQ right now, and I have all along, uh, except in the very beginning, very beginning of gay politics, was radical. Yeah. It was, let's get out in the street and yell. And then came the cry, we're just like you. And you need both. But now that there's some power involved in we're just like you, the tendency is to invisibilize the queer part of the spectrum. And it's interesting, I think, that the, the Q was added to the end of LGBT because queer is what? Queer is part of the de facto binary, queer and straight. As soon as you say queer, you think, okay, the opposite is straight. Uh, and so why did LGBT are not considering themselves queer? Right. In which case, that makes LGBT straight. And there's nothing wrong with that. For example, my gender identity is, is all f***ed up. It's radical. But my gender expression is a little old lady. I have a very straight gender expression. There's nothing radical about it. I don't mix it up. That, that's, that's not my joy. And so it behooves us, I think, to <laughs> ignore those differences and become more inclusive. I think that would be the real rebellion. And the rebellion now that LGBTQ needs to embrace is the idea of unpredictability in sexuality and gender. What the f*** gender is that? Yeah. Uh, oh, what do you mean you're, you, you, you enjoy having sex with men and women both? What do you, what do you mean you're attracted to drag queens? What do you mean? That kind of unpredictability, that kind of outside the box, that to me will be the great big rebellion for LGBTQ. And we're moving toward it. It's we, lovely. We're moving toward it. I would like us to get there. I, I would like us to get there. You know, you do so well to play with the idea of the word community, right? And the concept of community and, and where is community to be found. And I love that you problematize it and insert in all of these things that prevent us from achieving community, like privilege and, you know, want of assimilation. It's a pretty complicated word, that word community. Yeah, and in this new book I'm working with, I don't talk about trans community because then I have to talk about politics. I do, however, talk about trans family. Yeah. And trans family welcomes anyone who messes around with gender in any way, shape, or form. You're a butch, heterosexual woman? Great. You're messing with gender. And if you want to call yourself trans, great. Even if you don't, I'm here to support you because you're family. I see that you're messing around with gender. You're a sissy man. God love you. Let me support you because I consider you family. Family implies that we really owe each other the benefit of the doubt. Family implies that we may not be fighting back to back, but we are fighting uh, shoulder to shoulder. 
that's family. Community uh, has community is is where we meet the larger world. Mm-hmm. Community is how we encroach or don't or retreat from mainstream. Family is how we deal with each other. That's a beautiful word. You know, another topic, I, I can't have Kate Bornstein on the show without asking, have you seen any good queer theater lately? I, I want Kate Bornstein, the theater critic, to be here right now and tell us what should we go see? What should we know about? Oh, golly. I had the great good fortune over these past couple of months to see two really important musicals, The Book of Mormon yeah. and Groundhog Day. I'll focus on Groundhog Day, Book of Mormon, just because I'm such a fan of the South Park guys. Yeah. And I love how they lovingly jab at icons. But the Book of Mormon is important, important theater, and you wouldn't think it would be. But have you seen the movie Groundhog Day? I'm sorry. I have. Groundhog Day is important theater. Okay. You wake up every day. It's the same day. You have to go through the same thing. That's an important metaphor to understand. We wake up every day to the same damn gender, the same damn sexuality. Well, how are you going to use that in the most loving way? How are you going to finally stop fighting with this stuff and start using what you know about sexuality and gender to help end suffering for some other people? Stop focusing on yourself. That's the message of Groundhog Day. Yeah. And would you call it queer? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, and especially in this age of Trumpian politics and nationalism, the message of compassion is queer. It's, it's radical. You can't do that anymore and, and without being made fun of. Uh, come on, come on. So... To me, any kind of theater that points in that direction is the kind of queer theater I really want to see these days. I love it. Oh, that's such great stuff. Well, we, we have to end with some advice for our listeners. You know, you introduced the idea of being gender euphoric in the book. And my gosh, Kate, I, w- I want to get there. I want everyone to get there. And, and I want to be very upfront here. And I was debating whether or not I would say this on the air. But it, there were several points in the book where I had to remind myself, and I, I distinctly I would almost like to say I don't remember, distinctly don't remember having these moments when I read this in college, but now reading it as as a 40-year-old professor of sociology and, and looking at things in a much different way, I did have these moments of looking at my own privilege and realizing, oh yeah, as, as, a, as a gay Jewish white male, I definitely have taken gender for granted over the years. So reading about gender euphoria and, and being more cognizant of gender for those of us who have that privilege made me pause in in ways that I really needed. So I will thank you for that. But for for our listeners, how can we move towards Kate's patented advice for moving towards gender euphoria of celebrating gender in the beautiful way that you do? Hmm. That's one I've not been asked. Thank you. Yay. I I would say the first step is be conscious. Yeah. That what we call quote unquote cisgender privilege, which is crazy because it doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, is the unconsciousness of gender. We just aren't conscious of it. You said that yourself. The first step, I think, is to become conscious of it. 
when trans people become conscious of gender, their next step is to struggle with it. When cis people become conscious of gender, their next step is to become guilty about it. Stop being guilty. Stop, stop struggling. Start consciously navigating gender for yourself. Be easy on yourself. Be forgiving of the mistakes you make. And above all, whenever you're, you're embracing a gender-based argument or situation, don't be mean. That's the bottom line. Yeah. We have been so mean to each other. Lesbians have been mean to gays. Gays have been mean to lesbians. Lesbians and gays have been mean to bisexuals. Bisexuals have been mean to lesbians and gays. Uh, LGBs have been mean to T. T have been mean to LGBs. Drag queens are mean to trans women. Trans women are mean to drag queens. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop struggling. Start navigating. Don't be mean. There it is. There it is. Listeners, this is what we need you to go do. Stroll on over to katebornstein.com and you can learn more about Kate. If you do not own Gender Outlaw, if it is not in your hand right this very second, it must be. It absolutely must be. And, and Kate has so many other pieces of art that are out there that you, that you must devour because her words will really affect you. And if you are not following Kate on Twitter, oh my gosh, are you missing out. It strikes me that you enjoy interacting with people on Twitter, Kate. I do. People who tweet me, I answer as long as they're not being mean. Well, let me say this to you, Kate. You know, in, in the book, you in Gender Outlaw, you, you relay the tale of how when a when a shaman dies, either literally or figuratively, the spirits give the shaman a grain of sand from the vast infinite beaches of truth. But the shaman can only hang on to that grain of sand if they share that truth with others. You, Kate Bornstein, are most certainly hanging on to that grain of sand because you put your truth out there, you make us pause, and that you do so is an honor and a pleasure for the rest of us. For that, I, I have to tell you, Kate, I, I thank you. There's a Sanskrit word that I adore that has no equivalent in the English language. It's namaste. And my understanding of the word namaste is the deity in me recognizes the deity in you and is pleased. Namaste is another way of saying it takes one to know one. So, namaste, dear heart. You are so gay. Help, 
But when the storm rolls in You're putting up shutters To save yourself All right, folks, and we are back. We have tons of time left on this week's episode to get to all of the latest LGBTQ news that's out there. But first, holy cow, Kate Bornstein. Kate Bornstein. I mean, that book, Gender Outlaw, I read that in college, and I remember thinking, I'm not even sure if I understand all this, but I know it's really, really important. And now reading it, 20 years later, oh, 20 years, but it's true, 20 years later, it's unbelievable how well it has held up. It hasn't just held up, it all rings true. So if you have not picked up Gender Outlaw, you must be holding that. If you have not picked up my book, what the heck, guys? Go pick up my book. Stroll on over to Amazon and you can purchase Seriously, What Am I Doing Here? The Adventures of a Wandering and Wandering Gay Jew. I'm actually headed out this week to do a little mini book tour. I have an event in New Jersey on Thursday night. I have three events in Brattleboro, Vermont, which is where this show is so gay was born. We were born nine years ago on WVEWLP, Brattleboro Community Radio, where they are still listening to us. Hi, everybody in Brattleboro. Right now, I'm saying hi to you from afar, but on Friday, I will be saying hi to you up close because I will be there with a series of events. So I'm super excited to go back and visit Vermont for the first time since I left four years ago. This past weekend was Pride in the CLE, and this is the first of two Pride celebrations here in Cleveland. As I have said on past shows, as I've written about in the Huffington Post, it's been a little bit wonky here with Pride in Cleveland. A little bit wonky. We had the one group, Cleveland Pride Inc., that has held Pride for many, many years, but they're also the group that canceled it out of nowhere last year. And that's where Pride in the CLE was born when the LGBT Center of Greater Cleveland picked up the slack. A couple people said, because my Huffington Post piece helped bring some attention to it, I don't know that I really put much stock in that, except that if I can be a part of that, that makes me very, very happy. I just kind of called it like I saw it. But anyway, the LGBT Center of Greater Cleveland pulled together different organizations. They held the first annual Pride in the CLE. And now this year, they held the second annual Pride in the CLE, but we also have Cleveland Pride, and that's towards the end of the month. Well, I went to Pride in the CLE. Last year, I had the wonderful, ridiculous honor of being the MC for it. It was just incredible. Truly, truly incredible. And this year, I went as a volunteer, so I went down a little bit early before my shift. I did not go down for the march. They had a march at the beginning of the day. I heard it was incredible. It took 45 minutes to walk, just like a half mile or a mile, so it was packed. There were thousands of people. So I went down for the festival, and I I toured around for about an hour, and then I volunteered for four hours, and I have to tell you, I had the best 
time. And people think, okay, so I host this radio show and I, I wrote this book and I'm a college professor and I do all of these MC events and I'm in front of crowds, you know, I'm in front of people speaking all the time. I still am one of those people who, my gosh, I need some personal space and, and things can feel a little bit overwhelming to me. So I certainly had some anxiety about going to downtown Cleveland and I went down by myself and am I going to know anybody there? And so I'm telling you, I, I know there are so many of you out there who don't go to your city's pride because it's just overwhelming. And I get that. Well, one way to deal with those feelings of being overwhelmed is to sign up to volunteer. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you right this very second, I don't know where you live. I have absolutely no idea where you live, but I guarantee you that they need volunteers. They just do. They're not going to turn you away. And having a purpose like that, going to your city's pride, your town's pride, and celebrating, but doing it with a purpose in that you have a role to fill, it really does ease the anxiety. So I worked in a volunteer tent this past weekend, and I helped break down the whole festival, and I met a ton of people, which is always a good feeling. And I signed up for Gay Bocce Ball. Yeah. I signed up for a gay bocce ball league, so I'll be playing that in July. So even as someone who myself, I have no problem telling you all, I definitely can have a little bit of anxiety. Having a purpose and volunteering, huge. Absolutely huge. So a lot of pride stories that are out there. McDonald's, McDonald's of all places, they have introduced a rainbow box for fries. And of course, it has upset some people, but we don't really care because McDonald's has introduced a rainbow box for fries. The box is on our Pride Month, they've been released in Washington, D.C. in three different locations. The boxes are only available for the weekend, but they are intended to be a fun way to support the National Equality March. So the National Equality March, that's this weekend in Washington, D.C. Can't wait to see how many people go down there. I have a lot of friends going down. Kathy Martin, the co-chair of McDonald's Pride Network, explained that they were honored to celebrate the LGBT community. She said this, quote, the rainbow fry boxes are a fun way to show our support of the LGBTQ community using one of McDonald's most iconic and recognizable items. However, these fry boxes are small potatoes in the grand scheme. By the way, get it? Small potatoes. These fry boxes are small potatoes in the grand scheme of our commitment to this community. We are proud to honor and celebrate the LGBTQ community, including our employees, customers, and beyond each and every day. Absolutely love that. We'll give a shout out to the people who are annoyed by it because it's hilarious that you're annoyed by rainbows on fry boxes. Evangelist Joshua Fuerstein, who previously suggested that Christians should use guns to oppose same-sex marriage, he is particularly mad. The pastor who recently ranted about Starbucks plain white holiday cups wrote online that the fast food giant had obviously gone gay from releasing the boxes. He wrote this quote, disgusting. McDonald's released their rainbow fries today in honor of gay pride. I'm tired of corporations trying to influence our families like this. Let people know to stop eating McDonald's. Plus, their food is crap, really. Well, look, I'm not going to argue with him that maybe the nutritional value there at McDonald's is not super great. I, I can certainly say that. But I love the idea that rainbows on fry boxes are trying to influence families. I don't think so. I don't think that's, you know, what happens. Another pride story, not a great pride story. 
A mayor in California has spoken out after the pride flag flying from her home was torched by vandals. The mayor of San Luis Obispo, Heidi Harmon, spoke out over the incident, which happened overnight last week. The mayor had been flying a rainbow flag from her house while a sign in front of her house had expressed support for equal rights. She explained this, quote, A rainbow flag typically associated with LGBTQ rights hanging outside my home was burned and left in front of my home. In addition, a yard sign that was in support of civil rights for all in my yard was slashed. It is disheartening more than anything to see this type of negative action when I believe that so much can be accomplished through meaningful dialogue, even when there are differing opinions. We are in a time in history where personal attacks have been normalized on a national level, and we see that type of behavior replicated across the country. This is uncalled for and unacceptable. The city council recently adopted a welcoming city ordinance, deeming us a welcoming and inclusive city. Anything that does not promote and support inclusivity on all levels for all people is unacceptable and will not be tolerated. This is what happens. I think as we get closer and closer to equality, this is where some people just start spinning out of control and they feel like they have to do something to protest. And so they're just burning flags on people's houses. That's just absolutely absolutely ridiculous. Though we are not at a place of full equality, especially when President Trump's education secretary has again refused to say whether she believes LGBT students should be safeguarded from discrimination. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos had last month stunned Congress by refusing to rule out taxpayer funding for private schools that discriminate against LGBT students. She was challenged on the issue again this week in a clash with Senator Jeff Merkley, who repeatedly asked her to clarify whether private schools should be banned from discriminating against gay students. However, Betsy DeVos avoided any sort of pledge on the issue, as she said, quote, I said it before and I'll say it again, schools that receive federal funds must follow federal law. When Senator Merkley told her the law was not clear on the issue, she said this, quote, on areas where the law is unsettled, this department is not going to be issuing decrees. That is a matter for Congress and the courts to settle. She continued to say this, on areas of unsettled law, Congress and the Supreme Court has to decide. Schools that receive federal funds will follow federal law. And she just would not make a comment about it. Senator Merkley went on to say this, you're refusing to answer the question. I think it's very important to know that today the Secretary of Education before this committee refused to affirm that she would put forward a program that would ban discrimination based on the LGBTQ status of students. And Betsy DeVos insisted this, quote, Sir, that's not what I said. Discrimination in any way is wrong. I don't support such discrimination in any form. However, she refused again to answer the question as posed. Again, folks, we are not at that place of full equality yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're not quite there yet. A transgender man in New York is suing his employer after suffering repeated misgendering and harassment in the workplace. Shine Williams, who began his transition 20 years ago, has claimed that he was discriminated against in 2010 on multiple occasions. Williams worked as a cleaner on the Metro North train, which runs throughout the suburbs of New York City. Williams claimed that the harassment began straight away when other workers complained about him using the men's locker room. The discrimination increased after Metro North repeatedly looked into Williams's record and forced him to use the female name he was given at birth. So Williams is now suing. 
we'll keep people updated on that. But it's not, I mean, what a week to talk about gender, especially on an episode where we have Kate Bornstein. How about this story, Kate? An eight-year-old girl and her soccer team have been disqualified from competing because this eight-year-old girl looks like a boy. She looks like a boy, and so they've been disqualified. Millie Hernandez, a young girl from Omaha, Nebraska, was preparing to compete in a local girls' tournament with her team. However, organizers of the Springfield Soccer Club girls' tournament have since told Millie and her team that they cannot compete because they believe that she is male. This is actually happening right now. Millie, who is biologically female and identifies as female, has been playing soccer competitively since she was permitted to join the roster of 11-year-olds. She has explained that she believed the tournament thinks she is a boy largely because of her short hair. She said this quote, When my hair starts to grow, I put it short because I've always had short hair. I didn't like my hair long. Just because I look like a boy doesn't mean I am a boy. They don't have a reason to kick the whole club out. It's unbelievable. They say, yes, she looks like a boy. So no, absolutely not. We have defined gender. This is how we have defined it. And no way are you allowed to compete. We are talking about an eight-year-old girl with short hair, Millie Hernandez. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. In Utah, a group of homophobic Christians have protested pride celebrations outside of a club in Utah. The small group of conservative protesters demonstrated outside of Club Jam, an LGBT club in Salt Lake City. The group traveled from outside of the state for the protest, as in these people actually took time to travel to protest. That is what they did. They wore anti-gay clothes, which had messages such as homosexual is a sin, and Roman chapter 1 reads your sin of sodomy is worth death. Protesters also carried abusive signs and shouted at people entering and exiting the club. Despite this, witnesses say that before police turned up, they believed that the group may have become violent. They said this quote, some of them came out there and it looked like a tussle was going to ensue, and then like seven cop cars with red and blue lights rammed up and broke it up or else it probably would have gotten pretty physical that was said by one witness shane curtis salt lake city police lieutenant scott smalley said the group wanted to incite it's a religious group smalley explained that is preaching against homosexuality so there you go these are people who are taking the time and the funds to travel to protest at a gay club now, how about a military story? Trans cadets in the U.S. military are being told that they can graduate from their training, but they are unable to serve. Two trans cadets in the Air Force and Army academies have been told that despite being on track to pass their exams, they will not be allowed to join the ranks. The two people, whose identities remain anonymous, came forward with the revelation that will leave them unemployed following their studies. The decision to not allow trans military graduates to join comes as policies on accepting trans troops are yet to have been created. We talked about that a few weeks ago with Nathaniel Frank. The Pentagon promised to establish procedures for accepting new trans troops last year after the former Defense Secretary Ash Carter rescinded the ban on trans, openly trans military folks serving. The rollback on the ban meant that it allowed trans troops to serve openly, but the policy for accepting new troops is still yet to be developed. A spokesperson for the Air Force Academy, Lieutenant Colonel Allen Heritage, explained that a trans cadet in his academy would not be allowed to serve despite strongly recommending them. 
He said this, quote, Currently, there is an Air Force Academy cadet who is identified as a transgender individual. The cadet can graduate, but per the current transgender policy, this cadet cannot commission into the Air Force. However, we are strongly recommending this individual for Air Force civil service as an option for continued service after the Academy. Cynthia Smith, a spokesperson for the Army, confirmed that they, too, have a trans cadet due to graduate. And Smith said this, quote, We can confirm that a military academy cadet has identified as transgender. However, per the current Department of Defense medical accessions policy, this cadet cannot commission. We are not there yet, folks. We're just not there. I know that they're trying to work things out there in the military, but it hasn't happened yet. And so you have two cadets who have graduated. They will graduate. They have completed everything they need to complete, but they will not be allowed to serve. They have made the sacrifices right? They have separated themselves from their families. They have moved to this academy. They have passed their exams. I'm sure it was extraordinarily rigorous, the physical training, the academic training, and yet they are not allowed to serve. Making the sacrifice and not allowed to serve. Let's do one happy story to end with. We need a happy story, right? It can't just be about eight-year-olds who are being banned from playing soccer, which I just can't believe that, and these trans cadets who have worked their tail off but are not going to be allowed to serve. One happy story comes out of Oregon. This week, Oregon Governor Kate Brown signed a bill that will make it easier for transgender Oregonians to update their birth certificates privately. The Associated Press reports that the measure, which goes into effect next year, effectively allows an easier pathway for people to shield any changes they make to their birth certificates. Previously, the process to make changes to one's birth certificate was conducted through the court system without much privacy for individuals. The new law, however, which we celebrate, makes it so that changes to someone's name or gender identity have to be protected instead of being available for public view by the court. It also allows for court cases that involve gender identity changes on birth records to be sealed. There's happy news out there, folks. We are taking steps, and we can only take steps when we ask questions. When we ask questions and we take action and we read things like gender outlaw, go pick up gender outlaw, our huge, huge thanks to Kate Bornstein, an absolute inspiration in my life. What she has accomplished is just incredible and she continues to use her voice to make a difference and I implore you all to use your voice to make a difference. Whether you are writing a book, whether you are volunteering for Pride, whether you are creating your own radio show, go do it. Go use your voice to support and raise up the voices of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, of all of our allies out there. I wish you all a happy Pride. Get out there. Go make a difference. And please remember, why be gay when you can be so gay?